0: Hello and welcome to Out and About in Midlovians. I'm your host, Jeremy Bartha. As part of my job as Member of the Scottish Parliament, I get to travel around Midlovians, meeting interesting people and hearing about how the companies, charities and projects that they work for benefit and contribute to our community. On this podcast, I will share their stories. On today's episode, I'm looking forward to talking to Mary Cross of the National Mining Museum in Midlovian. Well, thank you, Vali, for having us here um, this afternoon. We're in a very large hall, so we might get a bit of an echo. But we want to know, a bit: why is the National Mining Museum here? So, <clears throat>
1: the Mining Museum is based in the Lady Victoria Colliery, which was built uh, in the, the late 19th century and opened around 1895. So originally, the mining museum was based in a different venue altogether. But when this site came up for um, effectively for for sale uh, or for usage, because it was getting um, there was a potential that this site was at risk for being demolished, that the trust stepped in and basically very very quickly took it over. Uh, and all of that was a long long time ago so I can't really comment much on that kind of historical period but effectively the Trust decided that this was a a great way to safeguard the colliery itself but help tell the the whole story of mining across Scotland because I think the most important thing about this site is it was the first super pit in the UK when it was built Um, and it covers around 20 acres because it's not just the colliery itself, we've got Workshops that were built in the fifties, where a lot of the repair of the equipment and the the various things that were used in the the mining itself, were uh, they were repaired and and stored there, and they're really really big warehouses. We've got a former schoolhouse across the road where the 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 office uh, the staff for the offices, sorry, the offices for the staff are based. Um, so there's a whole host of different you know buildings across the site that are used. So not all of them are publicly accessible.
0: Okay, so you're just on the kind of Midlovian side of the bypass. Um, if I'm thinking of a day I, I come along, what would I experience? What type of day would it be like for me?
1: It's a it's a quite an immersive experience if you come here. So you've got the options to visit the two exhibition floors. So we've got two exhibition floors that were set up around twenty years ago and one of them is called The Story of Coal. So that goes into detail about the formation of coal, how it comes about, um, the kind of scientific side of it, and then it then it moves into mining industry itself and how that changed and developed and how health and safety came into the to play. Uh, right up until the period of when coal mining stopped in the UK and then other types of mining is kind of recognised now. And then there's the the Race Apart, which is on the top floor. That's one of my favourite um, exhibitions because it's got the, 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 the social, historical, people part of it, which I think a lot of our visitors relate to. A lot of people come here because they're interested in maybe their grandfather or their great-grandfather or somebody in their family had some sort of link with mining. So when they get to read about communities and they see, you know, just the the lay of the land, just what difference mining made to Scotland, that's quite a special experience, I think. So there's that and there's also, we have tour guides uh, who are paid members of staff and some of them were miners that worked underground, and some of them were working in the kind of engineering side of things, so they were more overground. Quite a few of them worked across the world, so they've got an incredible wealth of experience and understanding of the industry in its latter stages before it, it, it ceased to exist in this country. So those guided tours are they're great because there's, there's personality, they're personality led, and people really enjoy mm-hmm. having that interaction. So, uh, and there's also, you can do an audio tour as well if you so wish that you don't need to necessarily be part of a group and you can get a a chance to wander around the whole colliery site, the parts that are open to the public and find out how the colliery operated and what contribution um, this industry made to the shaping of Scotland. So uh, quite a wide experience. So we've got the actual kind of social history and the science side and then, of course, we've also got our cafe and our shop, and we also have occasionally different temporary exhibitions that
0: run throughout the year as well. So how does one end up being a chief executive in a place like this? Tell us a little bit about your background, how you ended up here.
1: Well, I've been working uh, in the cultural sector pretty much since I graduated from uh, doing my masters at university. So. Um, I don't have any kind of formal experience in mining as such so my uh, background is in fine art so I went to art school down in London then I came back up to Scotland and did a Masters and then from there I started to work in local government within the kind of arts and museums and culture sector did that for a long time, for over 20 years and then the, the opportunity came to move out of local government and to, to lead an independent museum. And uh, it was at the right time for me. It suited where I wanted to go. And prior to that, my, my role had been arts and museums. So the chance to move into a kind of slightly more strategic role, more of a leadership role, was quite exciting. So it's been a real great experience because I work with a board of the trustees and uh, without their guidance and support I think these kind of jobs are much much more challenging we've also got a great group of st- uh, staff and volunteers that, that help th- with the organisation as well so um, yeah it's been an interesting journey to get here so um, it's it's been good fun and I think the other benefit about moving into a role like this is I've managed to also become trustees of other organisations too so I've got a really solid understanding of of governance in the sector at large uh, across the UK as well as Scotland.
0: So I think you've been here about seven years. Um, Have things changed in the last seven years? I mean, obviously we've had a pandemic which would have affected you. Looking back on that, even that period, Mm. uh, how did you cope with the pandemic? What what, what did things look like here? The pandemic was... was, uh, it was, it, was a,
1: it was a very strange period in time, like we've been speaking about already, it seems as if it was years ago already, because we actually had to make the decision to close the museum before the, the actual national lockdown that Boris Johnson announced for the 23rd of March. We closed on the 13th because there was a risk that we had, some people had been exposed to COVID. So we had to make that call. And I thought at that time it would only be for a few weeks. And I remember speaking to one of my trustees, oh, this will all be over in a matter of months. And they said, no, this could go on for another year to a year and a half. So the thing that I remember the most significantly about that time is just having no idea how we were going to cope with a lockdown. And then things really kicked in at a national level. So the government and the museum sector at large, that's really pulled together to try and say, right, how do we actually work together to make this, t- to learn how to go forward, and to deal with the stress of it all. Obviously, furlough made a massive difference because that meant that there was a massive ch- chunk of concern that was taken out of your, taken away out of the equation. So that was that was good. So you knew you were, you know, protecting staff for the long term. And there was a the com- commitment from the board to make sure that they understood that, um, and then the rest of the time was basically applying for lots and lots and lots of grants. So there was lots of COVID recovery grants that came through the Scottish government, um, actually originating down in uh, central government. So there was lots of funding applications. So I think I brought in a re- in the region of half a million in that period of time to safeguard the organisation. So. There's some people talk about some of the good things about the grants that came about, so they weren't just about operational costs, so we managed to get grants for a lot of maintenance and equipment needs and that kind of thing, so all of those were, were good, but it was lots and lots of juggling, lots and lots of Zoom calls. I mean, looking back at my diary, some of my, some of my working week I'd have an average 10 to 15 Zoom calls a week, so uh, it's no wonder my eyesight's deteriorated <laughs> since then, but... Yeah, it it was difficult, so uh, but we were really pleased that we got through the whole period and got out the other
0: side, so... So, so your charity, you, you, you've you got trustees that manage it. I, I know you get money from different <coughs> sections in different ways. Um, I think schools come and give you some money. Mm-hmm. Uh, what other ways do you raise money to keep this going? Because obviously you've got fairly large overheads.
1: Yeah. Well, the overheads are particularly large because of the size of the estate and the fact that we have got a grade A listed building, so there's there's implications there as well. So there's not a lot of changes that we can make to the infrastructure without due process. But um, we are core funded by the Scottish Government, which we're very grateful for. We're part of Industrial Museums Scotland, and there's three leading industrial museums. So there's ourselves the Maritime and the Fisheries Museum. So we are we get our core grant from the government. And other grants that we can go to are normally through Museums Gallery Scotland. So they're the development body for the sector up here. So we can apply for project funds from them, funds towards capital development, that type of thing. We have diversified our income to some extent, so we do try to generate funds through uh, um, income from admission charges, so our ticketing from our cafe, from our shop, but we've also got a portfolio of buildings that we let out, and we um, we get some income from from that as
0: well. So, I guess on your website you can come and have your wedding here?
1: You can, yes. Uh-huh. Uh huh. That's just one of the things. So we're we're considering that in the long run about how, you know how viable that's going to be because we don't there's you know as we all know there's uncertainty going forward with the the current economic um, climate that's that we're all operating in. So we're always always revisiting what we've got, so we're never just standing still. So something that might have worked you know, a few years ago might not necessarily be the case um, this year or next year, so we're, we're always keeping an eye on things. So
0: it's, obviously, it's, it's a historical this, as in, you know, there are no coal mines left within, within Scotland. Do you get many school children coming, many school parties? And what's their reaction? So we we've got a
1: one education post, and they're funded through the Mining Institute of Scotland. And um, this member of staff's our education manager, so she has managed to got she's got contacts all across Scotland. (coughs) So we don't just work with local schools; we work with schools across the um, Scotland, but mainly focusing on areas where there's been you know a history of mining in those communities, so Fife and Ayrshire and that type of thing. So we have a lot of schools coming in, we have a lot of adult education work as well that happens here and we do a lot of outreach work where the education manager goes to those communities specifically. (coughs) We've also got a lot of digital resources that we can share across schools um, that they can download from our website. And we tend to focus very much on the curriculum, so thinking about STEM subjects, about the Victorians um, also looking at some sort of creative subjects as well So, uh, and children generally love coming here because it is such an unusual mm. um, sight um, and I think when they go up to the pit head and they get to see the size of it the kind of ambience of it it's always very cold up there they, they really enjoy it um, but I think one of the things I think, I think I'm, you're alluding to there is do, you, do children and young people have an understanding of coal? Well, uh, what our experience has been is that a lot of them have never even seen coal. Mm. So that's something that we introduced to some, in some of our workshops. You know, Do you understand what coal is? Have you seen coal? Have you touched it? Have you smelt it? You know, that type of thing. And that reaction is quite interesting when you consider that there's people out there that don't even know what it looks like. So, yeah, it's, it's strange. So, so it's
0: interesting how a history... You're almost having to tell the story of what was such a major employer here in Midlovian for centuries and decades. That's right. Tell me a wee bit about, I think you said already, but just, just remind me, if you were coming here, what's your favourite bit of the whole thing?
1: Uh, in terms
0: of the buildings, my favourite room is the winding
1: engine room. I've said that for a long, long time. <coughs> we won an award called the Heritage Engineering Award a few years ago, and we did a presentation in the museum and I spoke about it at that particular presentation because you go into the winding engine room and that's the engine that basically um, allowed the the, the the men and the coal to go up and down the, the coal shaft and it's huge it is a beautiful piece of engineering. But not only is it big, and it's you know quite incredible. There's a, a there's a sensory impact when you go into the room because you can smell the oil, and you're just faced with this gigantic piece of equipment that's obviously you know very 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 old, and it's it's unique. So if you compare that to the winding engine down in the, the big pit, for instance, in Wales, theirs is tiny mm-hmm. compared to ours. So I think we are quite proud of it. It's it's a beautiful piece of... It's a beautiful part of the experience. And um, so I, I love that. I love the whole red brick site of this. I think it's a beautiful, beautiful place. Um, we're sitting in the powerhouse just now. It's a gorgeous space. We have a lot of functions in here. So the actual architecture is fantastic. But um, I like the fact that this organisation has become very flexible and agile in its approach to what stories we're telling and how we're trying to engage with people. So one of the things that we're bringing to the fore is our our role within the debate of climate change. So we've tried to be bold and we've tried to, you know, be ambitious in what we're trying to, you know, tell people about.
0: You've talked about kids coming telling a story. Do you get former minors coming?
1: We we do, I don't actually see that so much because I'm not based in this part of the building but you can normally tell when there's people coming in with, you know, family members that have got some sort of link to the past. My grandfather, myself, my own grandfather, he was a a miner. I'm sure he's looking down on me up there with a big smile on his face. Um, And I remember the stories he told me about, you know, going down the pit and the seams and crawling along in their stomach and things, so... Yeah, there's people that do still come that have a you know, a link in their past or, or maybe have worked down down the mines. And I think that's one of the nice things about having our tour guides as well, that if there's somebody that comes in that has worked in the industry, they've got people to talk to, you know, when they when they visit. So
0: So let me give you a magic wand <laughs> and let me say, you know, you can make one change or something that would make things easier or better for the experience. what, what would it be?
1: Well, obviously, finance is always going to be a key thing for any organisation, especially when you're facing the uncertainty, as I've already stated. Um, I think maybe just having um, a bigger profile, and that might be because of geographically where we're placed. We are quite far off the bypass. The bypass isn't the easiest road the best of times so maybe being on the other side of the of the bypass would be a, a nice thing because i think it'd be slightly easier for people to get to us but um yeah i'm sure that if, if i had a wand i'd probably want a, more than one uh, wish from it i'd want a, a few wishes to to
0: help us achieve more well certainly from my experience of coming uh, it's a great place and i hope others will come and visit. and thank you very much for your time you're more than welcome thank you It was great to hear from Mary. It's been interesting to hear about the history of mining in Midlovian and also how the museum is going to develop over the next few years. We'll put a link onto the website in the show notes and you can go to it if you want to find out more. Thank you for listening to Out and About Midlovians and I look forward to catching you next time.